You're listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of SplatterPictures.net. What's up, everybody? Wes, Dead Air Knife here with always. Typical Lydia. Today's show, we're going to be doing the 2016 fan-requested film, Lights Out. This request coming to us hot on Twitter by Jonathan Sparks. Thank you, Jonathan. Yes, and thank you for requesting a fresh new film. We don't get a chance to cover a lot of new films because I guess nothing new that comes out is good because new horror sucks, right? Yeah, that's right, Lydia. Fuck new horror. No, there's lots of fantastic films that come out. One of the original ideas around this show was that we weren't really ever going to do the hot new horror of the month because I personally felt, and Lydia agreed with me, that it would carbon date our show. That's why we don't really do a lot of horror news. We don't really talk about things that are too topical because if you're coming to this episode, that's the thing about podcasts. We record a podcast, we put it up on the internet, and it sits there and... I know for a fact that some people get to our episodes eventually. They don't really stay. Yeah, we have our weekly listeners, but there's people that are just catching up. And I find it less enjoyable to talk about a film that was all the rage six months ago. Or if people are like consuming podcasts at the time and they're only listening to what's in the theater this week, the next week it's forgettable. Totally forgettable. What's the point of ever revisiting that podcast? Mm -hmm. So we try to keep ourselves fresh by digging up the moldy oldies. The moldy oldies, and not only that, because that's where my strength lies. I'm a very bad theater goer. I have a very bad hard time making it part of my schedule. I don't fucking do this all the time. I remember recently... I think it was a lot recently. It was last year, guys. Um, go- going to the theater, and I wanted to go see the new Purge movie, so it was last July. And I remember going out to the theater and sitting through the movie and loving the movie and having a great time, and I had the exact same thought every single time I leave the theater. Man, I really love going to the cinema. Oh, like this, like I used to do this all the time as a teenager and in my early 20s, and then for some reason... Not because I know that there's a lot of people out there that don't like the theater experience. They don't like other people and chewing and talking and stuff like that. Especially chewing. I know. You know, it's funny. I was off to see uh, Rings a couple of weeks ago and there was somebody, the theater wasn't very packed, but there was somebody in the theater that I could distinctly hear chewing. And I could, only thing I could think about was the fact that if you were there... That's all you could focus on. I, that would totally ruin the film. It would be all I could focus on. And then I'd be thinking about, should I approach them? Should I say something? Should I throw something at them? Like, what do I do? What do I do? And I would just not be paying attention to the film. And I'd be squirming in my seat for all the wrong reasons. Yeah. And every time I leave the theater, I always think to myself, man, that was fun. I should really make this part of my routine more often. And then it goes one month later, two months later. Six months later, there's all kinds of things that I genuinely do want to go see that I just don't see because, well, this weekend's not too good or "Eh, I didn't really make plans this weekend. This doesn't really, it's not conducive or more importantly, it's not fucking that easy to get to a decent theater around here. I was going to say, if it's not playing close to you, if it's playing in one of the far flung fucking countryside theaters or well, they're not countryside, it's Canada. Canada. Canada's not, not 
fucking close. But like there used to be two theaters downtown, like mm-hmm. Cineplex. Yeah. But not anymore because they've been closed and I don't know what they've done with them. One's a Nordstrom, I suppose, now or at Simon's. I don't know what building the mall has turned the theater into. But the other theater is probably just empty. Yeah. Just sitting there getting dusty yeah i mean it drives me fucking crazy because their solution to this is that well we don't need that is the fact that they opened up this multiplex that is relatively close to downtown but if you're not if you don't own a vehicle lydia and i we both don't uh have cars it's not easy to get to and on top of that the most egregious fucking thing is i don't care what type of horror it is they don't fucking play it they yeah. never play it. And I'm not talking about like... Well, they would play The Raven or they would play Crimson Peak. Yeah, but I mean, even basic stuff that you would think that every multiplex was playing. I can't go see fucking Underworld there. You know yeah, what I mean? I exactly. couldn't see Rings. I was like, that's a big movie, I thought. That's a big franchise. Which was weird to me that it wasn't playing. Yeah, that. and Blumhouse stuff. I can't. I couldn't go see Conjuring 2 there. I couldn't go see... Sinister 2. I couldn't go see any of these big horror movies that come out. They don't play it there. So you're looking for, like, you're looking at, like, a 40-minute bus ride some in some other direction. Yeah, and fuck me. I just don't feel like it all the time. Yeah. No, I hear I totally hear that. Yeah. The only other theaters close to us are second-run theaters, too, and nothing against that, but they, they don't play new horror at yeah. all. They, they don't play new movies, for fuck's sakes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'll tell you what we are going to go see. What's that? We're going to go see The Void. Oh, motherfucker. We, we can't avoid the void. We can't avoid the void. And <laughs> if all the stars align and we play our cards right and it's an auspicious day, what I'd like to do is cover Father's Day. We had talked about this. We're going to cover an Astron 6 related film Ooh. when we go to see another Astron 6 related film because we don't cover new horror here on Dead Air podcast except Lights Out and Conjuring 2. but um yeah i'm excited to go to the mayfair and see the void that's you know where we're gonna see new horror at a theater anywhere near us but not the blumhouse or dark castle films we're not gonna see any of those bigger blockbuster type horror films it's gonna be something underground i mean the last new horror i think i watched was probably sun choke okay and no one for a hundred miles of her has heard of Sunchoke or cares about Sunchoke. Sunchoke isn't playing in theaters, you know, like except for maybe in LA. Yeah. Stupid little limited releases. Yeah. But uh yeah, that we're getting a new kick ass, awesome, crazy horror film playing in a theater sorta of near us. Mm-hmm. Is is a cause for celebration. And that it will be the void and it will probably scare the fuck out of me because for some reason I just equate it to grey nuns and they freak me out. <laughs> Well, Lights Out was no exception when it made its rounds into theaters. It wasn't something that I could really get a chance to go and see, and so I missed it. So not only is this a fan request, but this is a film that I had never seen before, and neither had you had ever seen before. No, and it was good, and and thank you again for requesting it, because it gave me an opportunity to see something new that I probably wouldn't have otherwise watched until it hit some sort of free service, and it was a rainy Sunday, and even so... Something that has a hell of a lot of hype, a massive buzz machine behind it of just word of mouth. Aside from like the typical, the bucks behind it, there were a lot of bucks behind this movie to push its marketing. 
um, and the fact that it came from a short film. So it had many different ways to push the buttons of fans. And a lot of people didn't go to see this. Most of the news coming out of it was good. So that is one way to make sure I don't see a movie <laughs> is if everyone else likes it because I'm such a contrarian hipster, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. If it's, if I fall into those in traps it. myself too. I can't. I I come down on you sometimes with it, but I'm not completely immune to things. The more someone tells me to go see something, the less likely I'm going to go see it. I was like, let me find it on my own. But I did hear the premise. I did. I didn't read a summary. I didn't read any reviews. I didn't know anything about this film except for. A lot of people seem to like it very much. The basic premise, which is the same premise from the short film, it's very, very basic in that there is a creature that is visible when the lights are out. And when you turn the lights on, it disappears. But it can get closer to you and attack you when the lights are off. And that's intriguing. Very simple little premise. I don't care about the story. I don't care about the families. I don't care about the characters. I don't care about anything around it. The nut of this story, though, was super intriguing to me. The monster itself. Yeah, absolutely. This, by the way, isn't the first and only film, especially in horror, to get it start from a short film. Andres Muschietti was responsible for Mama, and he started off doing a short very similar to this, almost identical in length. This one was about like three and a half minutes, but the short for Lights Out in around two minutes, three minutes or whatever. People see these short things, they get viral, and then all of a sudden agents banging down their doors. It's exactly what happened to uh, David uh, Sandberg who made Lights Out, who has an interesting idea that people can expand on, put some dollars behind it, put a bigger cast behind it, write a full treatment, get a full script going, see where we're at. It definitely seems like what you start off with is this entity, which is the strongest aspect of this film. And then they just kind of hung some familiar things around it. But I do agree that the the the, the initial nugget of the story, which is this entity diana is was in the short obviously the strongest element of that because that's what the whole short is Mm -hmm. this film is the exact same thing it is the strongest most interesting element of it whereas everything else is serviceable services services to showcase this creature it's a little similar but a lot different from the babadook because the babadook had a similar thread too because it started with a short film same sort of Mm -hmm. creature idea and then they built upon that and hung like you said familiar elements all around it Mm -hmm. um with this one though it started with a a lot smaller short it's like two and a half minutes long it's the shortest short ever shorted short short it was (laughs) short like a trailer shortiest short that ever shorted but like it was that much more intriguing because the story was so much more simple and i think that the things that they've hung around it are a lot of what you would sit back after watching a short like the original lights out short film and just the things that would start running through your mind to build up why this creature exists what it's after what it's gonna do like all these things kind of sort of organically build a story around the creature that is Diana. And I really enjoy that, even though a lot of it seems in retrospect cliche, Mm -hmm. but while you're in the experience watching it, it's very, very intriguing as intriguing as the creature itself. And I I really, really enjoyed that far more than I enjoyed the treatment of the Babadook. Mm -hmm. And I'm really excited to hear that lights out is going to have a sequel because Mm -hmm. even though they didn't spoon feed us that at the end and I waited for it, Mm for the suggestion of a sequel, I'm really glad that there is. Mm-hmm. It'll give us an opportunity to hopefully get a little bit deeper into not only where Diana comes from, but also what her current state means, what 
she is now, which I find the most interesting thing. Where she comes from is very interesting because I love these types of characters that exist in film. I'm always looking for horror to give me something that we can sort of latch on to and be like, that's badass, that's fucking cool, that's awesome. And I think Diane is a step in the right direction. I think this is a really cool creature that is not so wholly original and like we can't familiarize her with anything before, but has such a... a, a a specific type of rule set that does make her wholly unique. Like a vampire. Like a vampire. And that's that's our thread to our last little vampire palooza is um, that Diane is like a vampire. Not really, but there's a kid named Martin in this, which is there so is. cute. <laughs> which we didn't know. We yeah. like, Honestly, sometimes this stuff seems like we fucking planned it. Yeah. No. Like releasing Cujo on some kind of like dog appreciation day yeah. or something. <laughs> it just happens. And that's that's how fun and organic that this show can be with our weird little threads that get mm-hmm. sewn between each each show. Um, yeah, Diana is a very unique creature, but very familiar creature all in the same time, especially because of her weaknesses. Mm-hmm. And the weaknesses seem to really speak very clearly to a young child mindset and those sort of things about fear that we're going to cling on to all the way into adulthood. Fear of the dark. Very, very basic one. Mm-hmm. Uh, clinging to light. Yelling for mom to come mm-hmm. help you. Mm-hmm. You know, Hiding under like blankets. I'm very curious to see where Diana will go because it's made really clear that Diana isn't exactly linked. And if you consider the short film canon, why was Diana in a house that had nothing to do with this story? because mm-hmm. i i watching this i can't help but consider the first story canon as well why wouldn't you there's no indication that it's not exactly and it's exact same sort of creature it's not until the very end of each one that there is a, a distinct difference between diana one and diana two let's say mm-hmm. but it's not that big of a difference whatsoever it's the exact same creature it's the exact same story she has the exact same manifestation exact same habits exact same everything so she is mobile. She isn't just attached to one person or one place at all. And I think that's fascinating. The other thread between the two that we noticed right away is Esther in the film Lights Out, who is the first person to encounter this being, deity, spirit, ghost, monster, is the exact same woman from the short film. Mm-hmm. That's right. We can't help but think that that was just the night before. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, Lady, what is this movie even about anyways? about diana it's been so long since you went away diana 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 <laughs> now you're gone and i have to say i don't i mean i really don't know any words yeah so. i don't know the lyrics to that song <laughs> you know dirty diana though i know dirty diana that's what i kept saying yeah yeah not quite enough songs about people named diana you know they should make there should be some kind of punk song about diana from lights out yeah, yeah. It would be it could be a terrifying song. So the horror punk bands out there that are tired of writing about Bloody Mary. Yeah. I actually listened to a very cool podcast episode of Lore on the origin of Bloody Mary. Really? And it reminded me not because there's many similarities, but like you're watching or like you're listening to a lore episode about the origin of Diana while you're watching this. And mm. I did really like this origin story very, very much. So that's what this movie is even about anyway is Diana. Mm-hmm. Well, this film starts out, we're introduced to a couple of characters. One of them, of course, is Esther, who was in the original film. I don't think she's playing the same character, but maybe she is. 
and in my brain, I kind of want her to be. I definitely want her to be too. And there's no reason why she can't be. Exactly. She survived that night and this thing has continued to follow her. But we're introduced to a couple of characters that don't last for the rest of the movie. What we are what this film establishes right away, which lets you know what is the most important thing about this. Because we're not being obtuse when we say that this film is about Diana. This film is about this entity. It is it is basically the first character, one of the first characters that we see, and she's throughout the entire fucking movie, and the first characters that we typically see in a story doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be overly germane to the plot. They typically characters that will initiate a plot. They are they in horror a lot of times the opening characters are the stone in which our narrative trips over to get it fucking rolling. This is no exception because there's this motherfucker on the phone ignoring his assistant while she says that there's something in the fucking back which he might have an idea about that we learn later. Yeah, and considering I think the phone call he's making has something to do with his research because he's doing some research, extracurricular research outside of his whatever job. I guess he's an accountant or something, a mannequin. He's in a warehouse full of mannequins. He seems to be the money guy. Yeah. This, yeah, there's a lot of mannequins. There's mannequins in his home too, so it's like he could be a fashion guy though, but... Um, yeah. It's hard to say. I honestly, when I see characters like this, I just think that underneath his character description just said businessman. Businessman, which leads me to believe he's not an artiste that constructs, like, mannequins. He's a wholesaler, if anything. Yeah, like, maybe, maybe, I mean, these mannequins got to get shipped off or some shit like that. But he's talking to his boy, Martin, and... Martin, over his Skype call, is talking about... He's a little concerned for his mother. His mother's been talking to herself a lot lately. I don't think this is very strange. I am a notorious self-talker. I talk to myself constantly. I talk to myself quite often, too. Mm -hmm. And... I record it sometimes, too. (laughs) Oh, wait, that's what I sound like. Now, Dad tells us not to worry. Don't you fret, kid. I'm going to come home, make it all better with my dad powers or whatever. Dad magic. So dad magic is going to use his powers to make mom better. Little boy will be happy and we'll all be watching the Netflix come Sunday. But it doesn't really work out that way because this dude is going to encounter this entity. The way that this scene is shot is absolutely amazing. I love it. There is callbacks to the initial to the short in this sequence not with him but with esther while she is turning off the lights turning on the lights turning off the lights turning on the lights and this energy just gets closer and closer now we're able to show this creature it's got a lot more money behind it you know this is a 4.9 million dollar movie not a lot but a lot more than the short had and so what would you say your initial impressions about what this creature was coming across to as you, to you. Not much different from the short, though. It's not till later on that that money gap is really apparent. Uh, I like that they stay very, very close. It is uh, some sort of emaciated humanoid creature with a stooped posture. 
that is enshrouded in darkness. Mm-hmm. It when you when it, you spend a little more time flicking the lights off and on, and it's getting closer to you, or you're spending a little more time looking at it, you'll see that it does have glowing eyes, mm-hmm. which is very very creepy. Otherwise, it is devoid of all light. It is it's a shadow plus is mm-hmm. what this creature seems to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's hard to tell. Like you had pointed out at first, like it's hard to tell if it's male, female, even human at yeah. all. Um, mm-hmm. It is a very thin, gaunt, emaciated human creature with long hair. Mm-hmm. Uh, lengthened fingers, claw-like. Almost like Slenderman, but not really. Almost like Slenderman. It really reminded me somewhat of the feral demons in the Tales from the Crypt Demon Knight film. Mm-hmm. That really reminded me of that with the glowing eyes and the hunched posture and the sort of uh, animalistic, primitive body motions. This thing, I initially just thought, okay, it's a demon of some kind because it looks feral and it looks like some kind of scavenger. It seems very uh, aggressive, but more like an animal. Yeah, it's on, the way that it notices you when you notice it, too, is mm-hmm. very animalistic because it seems uh, predatory yet guarded uh, yeah. in its body language. Mm-hmm. Another thing that this creature reminds me of, just even on first glance and, and getting to see more of the way it moves and stuff, is uh, a Wodabi male tribesman. If you're interested in nomadic Saharan tribes like I am, you could watch the Werner Herzog documentary herdsmen of the sun and you'll get to see all kinds of male wadabi tribesmen and it's a very very cool tribe where the women pick mates from the men and the women initiate marriage and the women are allowed to be what's the opposite of polygamy oh i don't know polyandry they're polyandrous they have many husbands um, and the men wear makeup and do themselves up very, very pretty and are the ones that are more concerned about their weight and appearance and that wear earrings and things that the women dress um, fairly plain. And they're all just very, very beautiful creatures, everyone in this tribe, it seems. But the men specifically go balls out to look just like catwalk models. Very, very beautiful men. Um, very, very beautiful makeup. But there are very slim and very tall and they almost have a um, very dark black skin so applying makeup and the the white makeups that they use are very very stark and the way that their long hair is in like very long dreadlocks uh, very similar to diana's long stringy hair too so in a shadow mm-hmm. when you first see diana it does uh, look quite a bit like a male wadabi tribesman which is just crazy fascinating to me Especially considering her strange hatred of other men. Because <laughs> this guy is fucking smoked. He seems to, at first, disregard Esther's warning and Esther goes home. Yeah, because Esther's like, there's something in the back. Be careful when you leave. Yeah. Crazy to me because, and you had pointed out several times when we were watching it, the script does suffer from just the general peak. characters aren't talking to each other in full sentences and saying everything that they said. If, if I had told you there's something in the back, I would take that as you want me to check out something in the back. But if I wasn't yet convinced, say, there's a person in the back that when I turn the lights off, I see them. And when I turn the lights on, they're not there. 
And I'm freaked the fuck out. So could we do something about this? And I bet you he might have wanted to, or at the very least, leave with her. Because this creature is not only going to gouge his leg out so fucking fast, so vicious, but it's going to just gouge his fucking eyes right out. Yeah. Is, it is very vicious. And this creature is very, very swift and strong. Mm-hmm. And there seems to be no escaping once it has you in mm-hmm. its clutches. Yeah. Uh, which is good because for a first kill, it really sets up that terror for us, the viewer, because every time that we're in any similar situation, we know what sort of power this thing has. Mm-hmm. It's really, it's, it's really important for horror to establish if they're giving us a new type of danger to tell us what the end result of that danger will be. It's why a lot of times in slashers or other supernatural thrillers, your initial characters are going to get bumped off pretty quick because we need to see what the end result is. And the end result is, is Diana will claw your fucking face off. Yeah. Swiftly. And you will not live. And then she'll just go on to the next person, presumably. Mm -hmm. Seems to be what she does. We're going to sound awfully spoilerific in this. Not that we're aren't usually carrying our reviews right on to the end of the film all of the time. But like this film does feed you pretty quickly everything you need to know about this creature. Mm -hmm. So us applauding the payoff really quickly where we know what this creature is capable of, you know, 15 minutes from now, we we feel like we know everything about this Mm -hmm. creature that there is to know, Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. uh, when we were watching it, you had mentioned like, well, now I feel like they've, got a lot of work to do because i feel like i know everything about this creature now i feel like this is my big payoff already which they handle very very well actually Mm -hmm. because this is we're talking five minutes into the film we've got this quite spectacular kill and then not even 15 minutes later we've spent a lot of time with this creature diana Mm -hmm. absolutely well first we're introduced to the character of rebecca rebecca she's a wild kid metal posters on the wall Lydia. Yeah, she seems like a regular girl to me. Uh, a, a marijuana device, a bong, the kids call it, next to her bedstand. It was in the living room. In the living room, where people live. I think she's a promoter. I think that's what she does. I think that's what the point of her was supposed to be. I think so. Yeah. It's something, she seems to either just really like uh, metal music, and therefore she has a lot of posters, but I can tell you what she doesn't like. Her boyfriend, Brett. Which is just the dumbest thing ever. And I feel badly for this particular actor, Alexander de Persia, I suppose you'd pronounce his name. Because he seems to be a very good actor. He's a good looking guy. He's got a good uh, constitution. Uh, The character is fully believable. He does all of his job. This character, though, oh my god. Mm. Annoying and useless, it seems. And I... Once I realized that I had a problem with this character just because he seems so very fucking useless and I'd be way more interested in this, the female character, Rebecca, I'd be far more interested in her and her lifestyle if he wasn't around, which is just dumb because she doesn't seem to want him around either. So it's like two people here don't want him around, (laughs) me and her, which is just a horrible position to put this poor actor in. And he Mm. did such a good job, but he does have like a role to play for sure Mm. later on. He he definitely, in my mind, redeems himself. Yeah. Because I was in the same position as you. And listen, I, I, I have been in a position recently where I've seen films where the initial scenes were being introduced into who was going to be our main protagonist throughout the film. And I found those scenes painful. 
this honestly, I'm not going to call it painful, but it was just an interaction that I just cared nothing about. That's painful. It's painful because it just seems to be a conversation people would not have. Yeah. It seems to be a conversation that would either A, cause a fight or cause them to never speak again, which is just not how you want to introduce the main character. It does set up Rebecca as a strong kind of quasi-bitchy chick. Mm -hmm. Sure. Like independent, she she, uh, we get a lot of information out of this conversation. We understand that this is a relationship that uh, on one person, uh, Brett is very serious about it, really likes her, and wants to get things, you know, wants to have something over of his so they feel more of like a shared space. He or... wants to put dirty socks in her drawer, which is just creepy to me. And like, I'm grossed out that he put his dirty sock in her drawer. You wait till you find out what I left in your place and when you went to go have a cigarette. Oh, whatever. I'd be so <laughs> pissed if it was a dirty sock, though, in my clean drawer. Like, that's fucked up to me. And I don't know, maybe this just goes over the head of other people who, who live in this sort of lifestyle who wouldn't mind somebody shoving a dirty sock in their drawer, but it just... Does not There's definitely people that watch this film that look at it from Brett's perspective and be like, yeah, obviously they're dating. And if they're serious, he should have dirty laundry over there. Or from the, from Rebecca's perspective that says she's clearly trying to keep things casual, dude, don't be too pushy. And so you can easily take sides in that argument. For me, I've just never really had a conversation like that before in my life. Yeah. And it, like, so I, I just don't know really. And I suppose what it is supposed to indicate is that rebecca is a fiercely independent woman that doesn't want to feel tied down to anyone which is fine i think there might be a better way to get that across from your characters than a conversation like this because it makes her kind of seem unlikable to me not her her wants and goals in life are not unlikable the way she's going about it seems kind of this is probably the second most clunky writing though and it is sad to have clunky writing like this right off the top especially with the character introduction Mm -hmm. so i do feel bad for the character of brett that we had to meet him in this clunky way there's a clunky there's clunky dialogue with the uh uh, the young brother too later on Martin. Yeah, it, it seems to be the clunky dialogue revolves around Rebecca. It's like they didn't know how, they know how to write Rebecca and they know how to feed Rebecca lines and she does just fine, but they don't know how to fit other characters in with Rebecca aside mm-hmm. from the mother. Mm-hmm. And it's the only like kind of human situation they seem to be able to wrap their heads around fully as writers. They don't know how to write her interacting with her brother or another man, which is just really strange to me. Mm-hmm. But oh well, it's forgivable because. We get back to Diana Land any minute now. Yeah, we're, we're we move on from this, and it's really not that distracting. And when you're just sort of sinking into a film, there's always kind of a bit of discomfort while you're finding your place and kind of decide, do I like this or not? Or th- there's always those initial reactions. And by the way, we're only like ten minutes into the fucking movie. It so. doesn't help when they pour oil in the water. <laughs> it doesn't. No. Yeah. Which is what they did. And I'm not even making a joke about how oily the character of Brett looked. Because we were trying to decide what he smelt like. And the um, range from like day old sour axe to a leather belt. Yeah, leather belt. You know, like when you're holding on to like an old leather belt. And then, you, then uh, you're like, oh, what am I holding this for? And you get rid of it. And then later on, you kind of smell your hand. You're like, oh, oh, it's the leather belt. It's kind of like that. Yeah. If you hold keys too long in your hand. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of, kind of like that. That metallic, grimy, yeah. weird, yeah. filthy feeling smell. Yeah. Yeah. An old whiskey. Old whiskey. <laughs> Something yeah. like that. Yeah. Seems like a nice dude. Seems very rock and roll. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I'll give it to him that. he's He has a powerful chain. What we establish early on is that through a transition that I actually got a little confused by, but I righted myself pretty quickly, was that I was thinking that 
Rebecca was Martin's mother, and she was cheating on him with Brett, and her and her actual husband just got his and eyes. Own a whole other apartment. Yeah. <laughs> well, I thought. Well, I don't know. I don't know how rich mannequin guy is, but the point is, is I was dead wrong. What this is is. Uh, we're going to go back to Martin and he's going to be interacting with his mother. His mother is talking to somebody and it seems to be not only just talking to somebody, she's talking to a darkened closet. And she's pretty open about it too. Cause when Martin wakes up, she says, Oh, did we keep you up? Oh, I'm sorry, honey. You should, you, the only people that should be awake at night are adults. Yeah. So you should go to sleep. Mm-hmm. So she was very open about we, did we keep you up? She mm-hmm. knows she's standing in a room with nobody and was talking out loud so it's not that she's completely delusional or isn't aware of what she's doing Hmm. or thinking she's having internal dialogue and she's speaking outwardly like schizophrenics can sometimes do Mm -hmm. so she knows she's talking out loud and keeping someone up but yeah through family photographs it's established that rebecca is the daughter the older sister to martin Mm-hmm. Poor Martin hasn't been sleeping, not only because his mom has been up at night talking to things, but he sees this thing that she's talking to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really try to make its presence unknown to Martin. And it, it seems to have full run of the house. He sleeps with the lights on and it fucks with them. Like it's fucking with the knob and shit like that. Mm-hmm. Just like, eh. Chases him back to his bed, he slams the door, gets under the covers, and then, yeah, it's, a, it's a jiggling the knob. That's like the worst. That's a mean spirit. It is a mean spirit, if it's a spirit at all. But, like, yeah, mm-hmm. whatever this creature is, is mean. Yeah. Very mean, very possessive of Sophie, Rebecca and Martin's mother. And so this starts off with Martin basically not being able to sleep and then being, through his school, get put into contact with a social worker, correct? Basically, it seems that the Child Protective Services have been involved with his family to a certain extent before. So he fell asleep three times in a row in class because he hasn't been able to sleep at home. And that is a red flag for sure. So CAS contacts the sister to come and pick him up and take him home because I guess the mom isn't answering the phone or whatever is Mm -hmm. sleeping herself because she seems to be up all night talking to shadow entities which is kind of cool actually <laughs> but you know what does your mom do you know right yeah so the sister picks him up and the kid does not want to go home and that's a really touching and kind of a red flag situation to me too um the only reason that this kid isn't scooped up and immediately brought to a foster home is because Rebecca has lived through this herself. Rebecca knows that her mom is crazy mm-hmm. and has a feeling this will pass. And maybe, I guess, you can sort of get, if you're going to read into it, that she's hoping and thinking and just pretending that it's not going to be as bad for Martin. Martin hasn't slept in days. All he wants to do is sleep. And it's pretty adult of him, actually. There's a cute scene when he's in the back of the car. and Otherwise, the acting for this kid is a little hit and miss. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think he'd do much better in a dramatic role because he's got, he's great with his lines. He has great delivery. He has great facial expressions, except for being scared and concerned. Those two things, this kid isn't. uh, I would say it's a lot of, it's a lot of heaving, but I don't see it in the face. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, I don't hear it in his lines. Yeah. He'd be much better in a dramatic role or playing the little, the little adult because when they're in the car and he's like, I just want to sleep. It's, I believe it. I totally believe it. Yeah. Really, really good acting in parts from this kid. And this is the one where you do get very worried that there's even bigger things going on and that this kid should be taken out of this house. Not only just so he can fucking sleep, but so someone can figure out what is going on that has him so 
not even just terrified to go home, terrified and fed up. Mm. He's fed up with his mom's bullshit, basically. Yeah. On the way back into the house, the sister knows that the mom has mental problems. She's supposed mm-hmm. to be seeing a therapist. She's supposed to be on pills. So she's like, has she been social? Has she even been out? And Martin says, well, one person comes over all the time. And she said, oh, yeah, who? And Martin says, Diana. And that's where we get almost a mic drop moment. Mm -hmm. You can feel all the air get sucked out of the room Mm -hmm. when Rebecca is like, who? Because this name Diana means a hell of a lot to Rebecca. Absolutely. We get a sense that Diana is a person that Rebecca knew as a child. And has nightmares about. That's one of the first things she lets us know about her relationship with Diana, that Mm -hmm. she still has nightmares about Diana. Pretty ominous. When we finally get to the house, there's a brief exchange. What I like is Martin goes straight upstairs and starts packing his bags. And cut to even a few minutes later when Rebecca's like, pack your bags. He drops his bags in front of her like, I am packed and ready to go. Yeah. But yeah, one of the first things that she asks is, have you been seeing a therapist? Are you taking your meds? The mom doesn't like those questions. No, generally speaking, someone who is in the position of the mother who has a history of mental illness and who have gotten off their medication, who no longer wish to speak to a therapist, it's a lot of the same arguments that you hear in real life. I don't want to tell a stranger my problems and dismissive, angry about the idea of you asking if they're still taking their medication. And since Rebecca is seeing all the signs of mental instability, she does take it upon herself to say, I am taking Martin. And it's a very knee-jerk reaction. And I'm really glad that this film addresses a situation like this because when later on when Rebecca is talking to the social worker, the social worker lays out that you can't just take a kid. Yeah. You Even though it is, it is laid out like she says to her mom that i'm gonna just take him for a couple days until you're less manic Mm -hmm. so it is in the best interest of all and she sort of covers her bases there and the mother does cry and plead and doesn't want them to go but she doesn't call the police and she doesn't you know physically try and stop them from leaving so Mm -hmm. there is sort of an understanding of you know i don't agree with this and i'm not going to stop you but i wish you wouldn't take my son but yeah the, the social worker does set out that that's like almost borderline kidnapping what you did. Um, and it is a long process mm-hmm. to take custody mm-hmm. of a child. Mm-hmm. That unless films are about those types of things, like if, if the film itself is about like a child custody battle, they don't talk about that in film a lot. A lot of times when you're dealing with people who are like, my kid is, I didn't even know I had a kid. Now it's staying with me or I'm, <laughs> I'm taking like, I the, hate films like that. Yeah, me too. I, because they don't talk about what a, a massive process this is. Just like when all of a sudden I just adopted a kid and that's in like a movie or a TV show. And I'm like, so you were going through proceedings for, like the ten, last three years? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah well, yeah. yeah, or longer, depending. Yeah, yeah, depending on everything. Some people, like, it's a huge process taking a person and saying, I'm going to be legally in charge of this person. Now, this is Rebecca's child. This would be different. But this is, her mother is a legal guardian. And when the social worker came and spoke to Sophie, she seemed lucid, coherent. And so there was no re- reasonable reason why the social worker would take the child away and then bringing up the fact that there is no indication that court being in court for like a year minimum there's nothing that will keep martin from just getting sucked up into the foster care system 
if you don't clean up your act, i.e. get rid of those metal posters and weed. Yeah, which is sort of sad because, like I said, if she shot that kid out of her vagina, it wouldn't matter that she had metal posters and weed in the house because that wouldn't be grounds for taking a child away. It's just like it's not grounds for taking the child out of the home that he's in because there's no bruises on his body, there's food in the cupboards, and a roof over his head. Mm-hmm. So he's not in any immediate danger. And like the CAS worker points out, I guess it's Child Protective Services in the States, and it's um, Children's Aid Society here yeah. in, in the in the Canada. In and, the Canada. In the Canada. Um, if she's not going to press charges against the mother, then there's nothing she can really do. I don't know if that's picking up, but it is a dreary, drizzly day here, and we're getting February storms and thunder and lightning for the past, like, 24 hours. It's great. I love it. It's a it's a dark and stormy afternoon here in the Dead Air podcast. And when you said something ominous, there was thunder. Yeah, that's what I do. That's what I do. When I walk down the street to the lights to turn out, it's great. <laughs> Speaking of lights turning out, they get tucked in at home, the new home, Rebecca's home, with all the scary skull posters and Slayer shit everywhere. <laughs> so she's like, ooh, maybe you don't want to sleep in here. And I've had that reaction with kids, little like family members coming yeah. into my bedroom. And I'd be like, there's ghosts and stuff. And I had little twin cousins that would specifically ask to go to my bedroom to see the scary ghosts. and Or like scary skull posters and stuff like that when I was a teenager. <laughs> and they'd get all like, ooh, the skulls. I had... Uh, on my bookshelf, which is now just felt movies, there used to be one shelf that was just knives. That's <laughs> all it was. And I remember my brother-in-law coming over to fix my computer and he brought my sister with him and my niece. And my niece was that toddler age and the knives were on the second bottom shelf, i.e. toddler height. Yeah. And she just beelines it right for the shelf of knives and, and they and they were even like we brought her over i hope you don't mind i was just like my place is not toddler proof and so immediately she just starts walking off towards the shelf and i was like oh no 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 no, no. you're a good uncle because i'd have been like parents deal with that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and and so now i keep uh th- it's all off the shelf now it's just movies a i needed more space for movies and b of I, did. I thought yeah. yeah and b i thought well okay maybe i don't need a shelf of knives <laughs> who doesn't i think everyone needs a shelf of knives and just you wait for that day where something happens and you need to have that shelf of knives and it's not there i know right what is here in this film is fucking diana that Dirty Diana, <laughs> the ghost that travels. And I do love traveling ghosts. It's like when in the entity, when the entity goes to her friend's house and mm-hmm. destroys the living room, that's the same sort of feeling I'm getting with this this creature. And I fucking love it. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone's tucked in and goes to sleep and Rebecca wakes up through the night. And I don't know how anyone can sleep with a neon tattoo sign flashing off and on all goddamn night. I guess it's pretty sexy. For the first week, that'd be sexy as hell. Oh, yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, let's do it in the red light. Yeah. It's the slowest strobe light ever. I know. And annoying sounding, too, because it's got... It almost sounds like a tattoo gun, that light, the neon. But anyway... um, She wakes up through the night and realizes that Martin isn't in bed anymore. And And it concerns her at first, but then... She realizes that there's someone in the room with her that's mm-hmm. not Martin. Yeah, in the doorframe, hunched over, scraping 
It's not like she's ripping the carpet up. Which we had many laughs about. <laughs> many Bart Simpson related laughs. Yeah, it's like, it's like, Diane, are you ripping the carpet up? Uh-huh. Well, stop that. <laughs> she's carving into it, hunched over again, very feral-like, very animal-like. And one of the things that I dig about this stance for this creature is how deceptively small she can look mm-hmm. until she stands up almost like animalistically presenting herself to be, to appear like bigger. Like a grizzly bear. Yeah, like a grizzly bear. Like, I'm trying to intimidate you, therefore I'm standing up on my hind legs and I'm expanding my arms to look more fearsome. And when, she, when it finally twists its head towards her and those beady little glowing eyes hit you, oh, it looks fucking great. And then we know, and then this is where we start asking some questions. Because initially, oh, it's um, it's some kind of demon that's attached itself to the mother. But now we're wondering, is this some kind of projection of the mother's unconscious desire? Her id, if you will. It's projecting itself to perhaps people that are threatening Martin in her eyes, trying to take Martin away from them, destroying her family. Is that what this is? Is there a talisman or something? Has she made some deal with some weird woodland creature about having children? So now that whatever this is, is attached itself to the children? Yeah, it's hard to say at this point. It's really hard. And I love it because it has spelled out so much. And we know a lot of the habits of this creature. And Mm -hmm. it's very aware that the two kids know very well what it is. And the mom makes no bones about talking to somebody So people seem to be involved and know a lot about this creature, but we are just in the dark, no Mm -hmm. pun intended. (laughs) So of course she turns the light on. Diana's not in the doorway. She turns the light off. There's hunched over Diana in the doorway and the scratching sound continues. Mm -hmm. And I do really enjoy that about this creature. It seems so fallible, but when you turn that light off, it is very, very creepy and very effective. Mm -hmm. What was Diana doing? Not ripping up carpet at all. And she's carving her name like a punk teenager into a desk. And just so that you know she's not a punk teenager, she also carves a little tiny stick figure. Yeah. <laughs> Although I think that'd be a cool thing for all us hardcore punks with knives at desks to do from now on. Not only carve our name <laughs> or our favorite band, but then a little stick figure with <laughs> yeah. horns if you have to. Yeah, just to get the point across. Yeah. Um, no pun intended. <laughs> right? Now, A, Diana seems to be doing this with her fucking claws. This is why I kept thinking, she's so demonic-like. Yeah. Is it because of the fact that she has weird proportions and she's got these long fingers and their nails and they're they're sharp enough to carve into wood like that? Mm-hmm. Where human nails don't carve into wood like that? No, you would break the nail pretty readily yeah. trying to do that. Yeah, so you you think, okay, well, this is clearly not a human, and I don't think this thing was ever a human. And that's what I'm writing in my book. Like, is Diana a kid? That's the other thing. Is she a kid? Yeah, I'm very freaked out by this, because if Diana's a kid, then Diana's a six-foot-tall, skinny kid, and that's very weird. Is Diana just locked in a, in a child's frame of mind? Mm-hmm. Is that why... She seems so possessive of the mother. Like, mm-hmm. did she find the body in a well at the end of another horror movie? Yeah, yeah. Is this some kind of forgotten or lost child of Sophie's? Yeah. Was it a twin? Was it a twin? All these things run through our heads and it's fun. It's yeah. fun, fun, fun. It's fun, fun, it's fun, it's fun. And, and when we find out what 
Diana truly is. I don't find it disappointing at all. I just I just take everything that I thought she might be and put it in the corner because I'm not that type. I know some people are like, oh, I want it to be this. I'm like, no, 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 no. Let the movie tell you what it is. Yeah, same but, here. But um, it, it's cool to see what the, the film actually is. And if you're so hell-bent on your preconceived notions of what you want this entity to be, then, you know, fucking write your own story where the entity is that. Yeah. You know, whatever. But... Rebecca gets a little bit of flashback when she finally sees the carvings on the floor. Once she finds that Martin is not whisked away to some faraway land. Or sitting there eyeless. Yeah, he's in a tub sleeping with a flashlight cuddled against him. It's quite cute. Uh, I thought she should prank him and turn on the shower, but maybe not. Kind of a dick move. Especially if he hasn't slept in days. (laughs) We get a little bit of a flashback where Rebecca is a little girl, and she's drawn a picture. Dad, mom, her. And by the way, we already know, because of a line that Rebecca tossed out, that the father of Martin is not her father. This was a remarriage. Yeah, because she makes no bones about this poor Paul that died at the beginning opening scene as her stepfather. Yeah, it's like, your father died stepfather. I'm like, ouch. Yeah. I feel like that, again, I, I, I think... Because of the, the the we know later on that she's got a very tense relationship with her mother. She probably blames her mother for the for her her biological father for taking off. So there's probably a lot of tension there, which excuses it. But at the time, you don't know a lot of that information, so it kind of comes off as like wow. Which sort of leads to another confusing line later on, but I'll bring it up later on because it's only like. For those that are watching this with all their brain cells on, it's not even that important of a line. But it did confuse me, and I'll, I'll bring it up later concerning the dad, dad, dad situation. Not unlike the little tiny stick figure of a girl that Diana had carved on the floor, that's what Rebecca is drawing in this flashback, this memory of when she was very young and still living at home under her mother's roof and sitting at her little desk drawing that picture. It is little stick figures. And there's probably a sun in a little house. I didn't look at it that closely, but that's what kids draw, right? Right. When she is distracted for but a moment, her paper is stolen away from her. And she knows that it's in the closet. When she walks to the closet and turns on the light and opens the door, the pad drops from mm, about five to six feet off the ground to know that, sure enough, we know who was definitely taking that paper and drawing on it. And when she looks at it, the dad has been all carved out in black. Yeah, violently scribbled out. And then in between the drawing of herself and her mother, there's a blackened stick figure. That says Diana. Yeah. Very similar to how it's carved on her floor now, across town, above the tattoo studio, and not in the house at all, where we would like to think that that entity is attached to. We're so used to entities being attached to things. And this makes us question, is it a ghost? Mm Because ghosts, as far as we know, the ghosts that we know, are Mm -hmm. attached to things, are attached Mm -hmm. to belongings, houses, people. Memories. Yeah. That type of thing. But this is like a free agent. Yeah. Which, again, is more in tune with a demon Mm -hmm. but at the same time demons also need to attach themselves to people but demons can attach themselves to multiple people sometimes if you're just coming into contact with them a little bit but then it would be directed to do these things and that's the other terrible thing is like is the mom that pissed off that she sent her imp to go and terrorize her own kids doubt it Mm -hmm. but 
who knows we're just trying to operate within the, the mythologies that we know mm-hmm. which we're tempted to throw them out the window and we do to just sort of like absorb this but we can't help but attach things that we know to this creature and I, and I like I like this creature so much she looks so fucking cool yeah and moves so awesome and is so scary looking and so I I'm so like I can't help it my brain was like trying to figure her out really and i usually don't do that but this time i was and well they make it fun for you so after all of this shit goes down she hooks back up with brett who she had a bit of a spat with about trying to understand about the whole situation but brett again is really along for the ride he doesn't this is again where the character i was like what is this guy's function what are you doing you seem to just kind of be here to be like so your mother was in a mental institution? And things like where he throws out a line like, I didn't know you had a brother. It's like, didn't we were just treated to the picture of her with this kid. What Did you not notice that? You want to move into her house. You're trying to shove dirty socks in her drawers. And you didn't notice a picture very prominently displayed on that self-same dresser that you wake up beside often enough. And you didn't know she had a brother? What mm. the fuck, dude? You never asked but once. The, the crazy questions that he has about the mother's craziness. Um, that led me to say, while we're watching it, and I thought this a couple times, I really hate it in a movie where we're given the feeling that characters don't talk to one another at all, unless the camera's on them. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of moments here. Again, when we're talking about clunky dialogue in this film, a lot of it's the exposition, in my opinion. Yeah. Where I, I think that there's just smoother, more naturalistic ways that you could get this information out. And I can tell you one of the parts that I was, oh, I wish that this was just a little bit different. And and I think when I, we're around the 30, 37 minute mark, I, I marked it, is when we get the background of Diana. This is after Rebecca and Brett reconcile with their little spat. They realize she realizes that she does need help, and they're going to break into their mother's house. Yeah, to search the place. I'm down with this library scene. Hell yeah, I'm oh. down with the library scene. However, comma, I would, I, I guess my initial disappointment with it, where I even vocalized, well, now we know everything about Diana after this scene, was what I guess what I wanted, which would have lengthened the movie, was I kind of would have wanted them to go to. The mental institution. I would want them to go to the mental institution, but but I, I, like I, there's problems with that too because like why would this person divulge information? Like they would have to go look through records. Yada, I mean, I'm yada, the girl yada. that can't even figure out how she affords an apartment when she doesn't work. Yeah, you know, so how is she going to afford to go to wherever they need to go to? Again, I I know like yeah. there's there's problems with it, but I guess like what I I found it too convenient and also kind of lackluster that. There was just <laughs> practically a box that just had evidence on it. Yeah, pretty much. Which I didn't like too much either. I love what they do with it. And I love the Session 9 style cassette tapes so they can hear what was done to this little girl. And it wasn't made clear enough for me, or maybe I just blinked and missed it, that it was the deceased stepfather, Paul, had been collecting all of this information and you could say it's loosely related to his own wife's time spent in the psychiatric institution when she was young but it's really all about diana it really is because at this point i think that we can pretty much guarantee that paul was aware of this entity which is probably why he told esther to just go home and probably why after a little 
brief interaction, he basically ran to a room with a light and grabbed a baseball bat. Yeah. Where it was kind of like a fuck this (laughs) type reaction. And it also explains what anger and explosive energy that Diana came at him with Mm -hmm. in our first scene with her, our first five minutes of the film where she Mm -hmm. just demos him and tears his eyes out and leaves him for dead like within seconds i don't even think hitting with a baseball bat would fucking do anything no no i don't (laughs) think so either you'd have better luck hitting yourself in the head with a baseball bat up against this girl but he must have been on not on to her that sounds so dismissive but he must have been close to figuring out a way to rid his wife of her once and for all, mm-hmm. or might have been the agent of the medications, because when she has a clear head, it seems that this entity isn't really around, or maybe it's when she doesn't have a man in the house. You know, Diana does come out of a closet. <laughs> she does She's come out. that out of there. <laughs> she does. She is a closet case. That's true, and you could definitely read that into it if you wanted to. She's very possessive of Sophie. She doesn't like any male interference and it's not like a daughter mother situation they she wants to be friends she doesn't want her friend taken away yeah which i thought was cool Mm -hmm. i liked this angle of friends and it could even just be friends quote unquote if you wanted to read that into it which i think that's completely plausible Mm -hmm. i'm somewhat kidding about the whole closet case well that that, that, but but i mean like even if it was some kind of really initial romantic interest but there's an interesting thing that we learn about diana uh, what so? What is she? What what is she really? She's a little kid. She is a little kid. She's never had a friend too, which makes it even more um, touching that she's found a friend in Sophie all this time. Um, she was a little kid found in a basement at thirteen years of age. So not a kid, kid, but definitely treated like a kid. And there is feral children. Uh, syndromes as well that I think that she had a big problem with. There are children that have been uh, victims of abuse and neglect that do have some very interesting symptoms when they're found and rescued from speech and gait and stance. And they're, uh, I can't remember the one, there's this feral child that comes to mind particularly, and I can't remember the name of it. Um, This little girl that was found when she was about the same age, she'd been tied to a potty for most of her life. And that's sort of the state that they find young diana in so she's brought to a psychiatric institution where she meets sophie it's basically her first friend ever Mm -hmm. she has a skin problem where she's very sensitive to light uh exoderma pigmentosum which we think that might have been it they're not specific prophyria is another likely candidate yeah they're not specific but it's indicated to us that in life she had a skin condition that was severe enough to not only alter her appearance she seemed to have quite a deathly pallor to her but also she would burn in light so it's like a golem vampire thing kind of yeah 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 um so that seems to be her situation. So we see her very shy um, in, with an umbrella. I know somebody else that walks around with an umbrella in the summertime. Yep. <laughs> I am a little bit light sensitive. You are a little my bit. My eyes water. My skin doesn't blister, but my eyes will water. Yeah. And also, there seems to be a little bit more information about this person where she seems to have some kind of ability, either call power suggestion or whatever you want to call it, she seems to have some sort of mild psychic abilities. 
Which is probably just what happens when you keep a kid in a basement for 13 years. Probably. It's like Professor Xavier would have all kinds of stuff to say about that. Mm -hmm. And it is possible that she can get into people's heads and convince them of things or to at least break them down mentally. Her father did kill himself. And he had written on the wall, she's in my head. Mm -hmm. In probably feces or blood. I don't know. Depends how crazy he was, too. Yeah. But yeah, she had definitely infected him mentally somehow mm -hmm. uh, what they decide to try to do with a light sensitive kid to help her is some light therapy yeah because maybe her dour disposition seasonal affective disorder um an extreme case of it perchance it was the olden days lids i don't think it was the olden days i think this was probably like in the early 80s probably yeah yeah <laughs> my god but then that said it wasn't until like what's somewhere between 74 and 79 that they stopped um, sterilizing people against their will and um, doing electroshock therapy without any permission and doing things like like physical restraints in chemical restraints are still sort of somewhat popular but chemical restraint was uh, very hot when they were tired of the bed sores and the chafing from having to tie someone to their bed 24 7 and keeping them in the dark then they just jack them full of like i don't know what drugs yeah so it was sort of dark ages still even in that time but yeah the light therapy didn't go very good like light therapy is 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 helpful seasonal affective disorder being tamed by using uh full spectrum lights it's proven to have like a very good outcome it's definitely needed if someone has a mild seasonal affective disorder and can spend some time outside uh, when it's a gloomy gray day like this my favorite sort of day it's not that helpful for people that are experiencing seasonal affective disorder especially for night shift workers and stuff like that this is why both of us take vitamin d that's true we both do it really really makes a massive difference Mm -hmm. It does. I don't mind staying out of the sun, that's for sure. And you don't need a lot of it. But when someone's been kept in a basement for 13 years and is light sensitive, I can see them sort of thinking that maybe the light would help. But they go about it in the entirely wrong way. Because if you have mild seasonal affective disorder, you don't even need 2000 watts of bright light. Yeah. They f fucking vaporize this girl. Yep. She turns to ash. I don't know if it's spontaneous combustion or if it's just... Like, what could... Like, do you think that she was a human? I don't know. At this point, I don't know. Be because it's... Because, listen, like, I understand you subjecting someone who has a disease of some kind that keeps her out of the light. But I was like, you're on some fucking, like, next level demonic shit. Like, she is vaporized yep. by this light treatment. And she can go outside and stuff like that. Like, there's a photo of her and Sophie, and they're outside. She has the umbrella, and she's a very shadowy-looking kid with long, stringy hair covering her eyes. You know, that, I think the Asian market would really enjoy this particular entity. Oh, yeah. And it's very similar to a lot of uh, revenge spirits. Yeah. But, like, it doesn't matter how sick with a skin condition you are. In, in medical history, I don't think there's a case of somebody being vaporized by 2,000-watt light. Right? So she couldn't be human unless they did more than what they're saying. Yeah. We could hear her screaming on the cassette tape when they conducted this therapy, and she <laughs> sounds pretty human to me. She does sound human. She does sound affected by pain. She sounds fairly malevolent. 
but it's hard to say. I'm wondering, and this might be something the sequel will, will address. Maybe she wasn't exactly vaporized, and that is just ash and, and some sort of tarry substance from the burning of her flesh from this, um, you know, effect that she gets from light. And her body does exist somewhere. That or her body entirely did vaporize. They leave that sort of open, but that sooty, weird stain, not unlike the film Pulse, mm. it's embedded in this chair that she was strapped to that's an eerie vision all in itself oh yeah can you imagine if the sequel they go back to the mental institution and somehow this chair that like had where she died in is like some kind of like epicenter of something the the devil's chair that's a really good movie yeah 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 yeah. that would be super cool yeah just throwing it out there creators of the light sequel or lights out sequel which i know you're listening because i'm going to tag you on twitter (laughs) (laughs) but anyway um it seems as though what we have here is a case of the body of diana being destroyed and the one person that she had a connection to she was able to leave a portion of her psyche behind enough to partially manifest itself and it seems to be that her aversion to light in life has turned into a nullification of her power in death entirely uh the way we best described it when the lights are on diana's still there but no more substantial than a memory Mm -hmm. really no more substantial Mm -hmm. than a memory she can move about the room yeah she just can't interact with anything she can't interact with anything no one can see her at all Mm -hmm. and she is yeah no more to her than a memory in the light but turn the lights off and you can see her, she can move things, she can pick you up and crack your spine over her knee if she wanted to. Yeah. She can definitely turn the lights off and on herself. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot, I think, of her power in a light room, though, because she does, the lights will flicker, but it seems to take a lot for her to do that. There to... has to be a weakened link in this light somehow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She can dim a light, but she can't just like turn them off, I don't think. Yeah, try to pull cords out of the walls if yeah. she can. Yeah, she can affect something in a dark room, though. If the light switch is on the outside of a room, you're fucked. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. And it also gives the appearance of speed because she seems very quick. But also, you have to understand that in the light, she's moving, but it seems like she's not. So it almost seems like she is fucking manifesting out of shadows. Like, it's crazy. Yeah, she could really move anywhere when the light is on. I guess that's the only strength of having the light on, is that she could really reappear anywhere. Mm-hmm. And once all of this information comes down and Rebecca explains to Martin precisely what is going on, it is time to confront the mother because there has to be something that can be done about this because they have basically kicked the hornet's nest. And... All of this snooping around and shit has not only made, has not only put them in danger, put Martin in danger, it's possible that they're putting their mother in danger too. Because one of the things that they've pretty much established is this thing is fucking dangerous, violent, and evil. Yeah. And even if you were to excuse some of it with like, well, it's a pretty tragic background, much like samara from the ring don't let a tragic background yeah pretty tragic that doesn't mean that she's not fucking evil yeah if you're, you feel for her that doesn't make her stop wanting to kill you yeah at all no yeah. way there's no reasoning with this creature yeah 
Thank God. That makes me feel a lot better about it because I really, you know, it, it's dancing on that knife edge of things that I fucking hate in film. It's, man, let me tell you, uh, listeners. Yes, there were several times that I, when we were done this movie, I was convinced that you were going to fucking rip into it because I, I was like, these have all the things present yeah. that you don't like. It really does. But even a few of them, it almost throws it in the face of the movie gore. There was a, that point where they scream for their mother. Mm-hmm. The two kids scream for their mother. We'll get to. Um, it's actually effective for once. It's great to see this sort of dynamic be actually effective for once. Um, it's actually effective to see the mother pull the mama bear trick where she will do anything to protect her children. Mm-hmm. Usually it's cloying. It falls flat. It feels false. It's not organic. Or it's just a cliche and they're they're actually reaching out and saying, oh, where is your heartstring? Let me tug it. Fuck that shit. This movie, it actually makes sense for once. Mm-hmm. They spend the entire movie basically building up this idea, mm. right? So when, when they finally put the screws to their mother and try to get the information out, it's a very interesting interaction. And it really makes me think that... I bet you she is fucking psychic. I bet you Diana can manipulate someone's mind. Because when their mother is conversing with her about, you're talking about Diana, you're talking about, you're talking to this person, their mother switches it, flips it to, first she starts talking about, you left, you left, which is a surrounding theme in this. The fact that the daughter probably ran away at a young age. Who the fuck would blame you? Look at that thing that's in the house with you. totally. I'd be like... Bye. Yeah. And so she has no interest in coming back. Not only that, but her father left and she blames her mother for that. So she starts doing that type of stuff and they have like a family type argument. Then she flips it again and just says, you're talking about ghosts? Like ghosts. She's in disbelief. But I was like, you earlier in this film have matter of factly describe diana say you're talking to her acknowledge that she's in the room yeah and so to me that is saying like this seems to be like checks and balances this seems to be like the fact that she is under the influence of something yeah you've taken all the lights out of every room in the house so you are free to hang out with this entity that is very clearly not an average human being and Mm -hmm. you know this and you acknowledge this but you're turning on your daughter and saying ghosts aren't real. Yeah. Yeah. And so if you were to watch this, listen to this conversation, it really looks like the mother, it's it's acted quite well. It, it, it really seems like the mother is reeling. Her brain is trying to connect the, the logic dots that their daughter is saying, but she can't. And so in almost like a desperation attempt, she's just deflecting. Yeah. Yeah. That part's written very well. It mm-hmm. is. Um Kind of, kind of textbook too. Though mm-hmm. she is avoiding the fact that Diana is dead because mm-hmm. Rebecca makes no bones about saying like they they killed this little girl. I can understand how that was harrowing for them to kill your friend in the institution. And the mom looks at her like what? Yeah, <laughs> which is okay. Maybe that isn't the sort of thing that they would tell a young girl. But the husband seems to have known all about it because he has boxes of information on this. Like how involved was she in this? Um, exploration of who Diana was we'll never know or is she just brainwashed by mm-hmm. Diana entirely mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or is it because she can see and interact with Diana that she knows she's not dead yeah but like look at her though 
Yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, fucking look at her. She is not... She doesn't look like she's alive. She well, did she when she was alive? No, she was um, a very emaciated, uh, strange, dark little girl with mm-hmm. a very horrible skin condition. And it's great that the institution encouraged her to have friends and go outside and things like that. But she never really struck me as human then, too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah, maybe she hasn't changed much in death. Maybe not. S- fucking scary then yeah when the mother uh goes upstairs and initially it's like that's very waspy like i'm upset i'm just going upstairs and closing the door of my bedroom and then whatever yeah and the the tower in my mansion and i'll just be crazy up here like a like a woman should <laughs> yeah right yeah. it's very it's very strange but, but then, they have a good conversation though they do. rebecca and the mom about what she's she's going to stay rebecca has decided she's going to stay and help keep Martin safe, and they're going to talk about this in the morning. Mm-hmm. And the mom seems overjoyed about this. Mm-hmm. She's mm-hmm. standing just inside of her door at her bedroom with the door just open a little tiny bit and seems to want to get back to bed and stay in her room. Mm-hmm. But, like, she's almost reluctantly having this very good conversation. And you can see on both the actresses' faces that it's very important to their characters to be having this conversation, how Rebecca's going to stay the night. And it seems to be all the mother has ever wanted was her daughter to come back and for them to talk. Mm-hmm. But she is like slowly closing her bedroom door like she has somewhere better to be, yeah. <laughs> which is very strange. But yeah. Rebecca asks her, did Diana kill dad? Which confused me because what dad is she talking about? Mm-hmm. Does she mean her birth dad? Yeah. Because she asks her mom, has dad ever contacted you, written a letter or anything like that? Mm-hmm. But she asks, did Diana kill dad? And gets no real answer. Mm-hmm. But I don't know which dad she meant because there is one dad that Diana definitely did kill. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a good alliteration there. Yeah. Lydia's like alliteration. <laughs> uh, anyways, they... It's not clear. And also she like kind of gives her the old like palm, note swap palm. Yeah. And And then you realize not only does she just want to be in her bedroom and is slowly closing the door, she's behaving like a girl with a gun to her head. Yeah. Like like there's someone on the other end of the door with like a fucking gun. And then we see a bit of her cardigan gets tugged as like, goodbye now. Yeah. Like a kid would to pull their mom away from friends they're talking to in the street or whatever yeah and then we read the note i need help well that's nothing new (laughs) i was so disappointed by that note i thought it was going to be like get the light gun in the basement like i don't know what the fuck i wanted from the note but it wasn't just i need help yeah this is not news sophie yeah you've needed help for a long time what sort of help do you need right now do you need help right now do you need help 10 minutes ago do you need long-term help or does this mean you're going to go to therapy what kind of help do you need they've established several times especially in some of the flash the grainy flashback scenes which are super cool um moments of diana whispering behind behind the young sophie Mm -hmm. and so we seem to they seem to get a sense that upon death that their mother's fragile psychic state allowed them to get allowed Diana to get her hooks into her and manifest more strongly. This seems the worse mentally their mother gets, the stronger Diana gets, able to manifest more aggressively, et cetera, et cetera, or at least attack more, be less benign. And so Rebecca believes that if their mother were perhaps maybe to start taking her medication again, 
if we if if they could rally around their mother and get her psychically strong enough again to to on the road to wellness then perhaps maybe diana will dissipate on her own and there's no icky men folk in the house save martin so maybe that'll make diana feel a little bit better because she seems to really hate the dudes yeah true well brett's there he's sleeping on the couch yeah yeah she doesn't not leave him alone yeah that's true now after trying to find where their her mother might keep the medication where he should like give it to her she doesn't have any but these people are gearing up for a light war Lydia. Yeah. They're, they're, I like it. They've got candles. Yep. They've, got... they've they've started taping all the, the lights, which is a prominent thing featured not only in the short, but it's also basically the poster of this movie. Yeah. Some old duct tape on a light switch. They have um, got, yeah, they got the candles going. They have like a crank uh, flashlight, which is really cool. And all the lights on in the house, they've, they've gotten all these light bulbs that their mother has probably like collected in a box. And yeah, we're going to light war. At least we're going to try to spend the night. We're not just going yeah, to leave. I like the difference between light war and just want to spend the night. Yeah. <laughs> and Brett's like, how are you going to sleep with all these lights on? And I agree. I have a hard time sleeping in a room with lights on and stuff like that. Um, I did have this one, one of the creepier moments I've ever had in my life as an adult. It wasn't that long ago. Um, I woke up through the night and my light was on. And I had this distinct feeling that I was waiting for something. And I was like an inch from just getting up and sitting on the edge of my bed waiting for like a knock at the door or something. And I was like, what the hell? I must have been having a pretty vivid dream and forgot to turn my light out. That's weird to me because I can I cannot sleep in a, in a lit room. So I turned my light out and go back to sleep thinking that's kind of weird. And I woke up, I don't know, hours later, still in the wee hours. And my light was on again with that exact same feeling of like something's about to happen. And it's like. The freaky part to me is that both times I didn't remember turning my light on. Really? I remembered waking up maybe moments after, an hour after, or maybe it wasn't me turning my light on at all. Really? Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. So scary. It freaked me out. It freaked me out really bad. And especially that it happened twice in the night and that I do not remember turning my light on. And it's not like a light. It's not a clap on. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, I have to get up and like fiddle, like find the switch on the cord and like flick the switch. And it's not like super easy. It's not like a cat could paw this switch on. Mm-hmm. So what happened? Did you know? No, I don't know. Sounds like you got yourself a case of a Mr. Nobody. Or a Diana. Or a Diana. Yeah. Fucking with your shit. Really? Yeah, it freaked me out. Freaked me out. I know it was just me. It had to be me. It's the only real explanation for that. It's true. Yeah. But still, still. I'm not that weird of a sleeper to get up and turn a light on twice in a night. And what the hell was I waiting for? We'll never know. Well, you know that these guys aren't going to have to wait very long either because it does not take long for shit to break bad. They're, you could call it a plan, I guess. Turn on all the lights. That's all they got. That's all they. That's all they got, and fuck they like they wake up. Martin's not there. Fucking go downstairs. Where's fucking Brett? Where is this fucking intrepid guy? He's wandering outside because all the lights go out, and the only things that are left are their hand hand torches. I'm not British. They're well, you're British today. I'm British today. They're torches. They're torches. And... Big pillar candles. Big, yeah, yeah, It's the only thing she doesn't seem to be able to affect a pillar candle, and I really like that. Not just a pillar candle specifically. I guess any candle, you know, if you got a nice little gas lamp of mm-hmm. some sort, you know, an oil lantern. She could probably be 
totally useless against it because I guess it's just electronic light that she can short circuit or switch off. Yeah. With a candle, she seems to have no power against a candle whatsoever. Yeah, she can't like, yeah. she can't just blow it out. She can't just blow it out, which is great to know. Um, so fire would be helpful, not against her, but just to protect yourself. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he's outside with his hand torch. Yeah. And he's strolling the grounds. He is. And he just takes a look at the streetlights and sure enough, that's not on either. I, I do like that she had, she's declared war. They declared war on her by turning on every single light. She's declared war on them by turning off every yeah. single light. This is one of my second favorite sequences in the entire, well, third favorite sequence in the entire film, Brett versus Diana. Mm-hmm. Because we've been convinced from the first fucking moment we met this guy that he is Diana Meat. Oh, man. I, and, and it was funny. It was like, even when they have... Uh, I even said out loud when when Brett and Rebecca sort of reconcile and she says that he can have a bottom drawer in her apartment. And it's like, really? Really? Yeah? Yeah? And he's all happy and shit like that. He even kind of gives like a little fist pump. And I was like, oh, this guy's dog meat. Yeah, this, this is where he dies. I was like, this guy is going to get his eyes fucking gouged out. Bye, Brett. Mm-hmm. No, but this is where we get to see him basically being hunted by Diana, which is so ingenious and it's so predator and it's so wonderful, actually, because she is strong and fast and there's little pockets of shadow everywhere. Yeah. Getting out of the house isn't really going to help you because it's fucking nighttime. And <laughs> even though he manages to save himself by first confronting with Diana with his light where um, Rebecca and Martin, by the way, are in the basement at this point, which is... The best place to go when all the lights go out, because it could be a fuse, Wes. It could be a fuse. Better check all the fuses, even though we're dealing with an entity that controls light and only lives in dark and can kill us in it and wants us there and dead. We'll Mm -hmm. go in the basement just to see if it isn't the fuses, Mm -hmm. which I, I hate. It's true, but again, this establishes the fact that like we think that Diana might be kind of a dummy with like very primal and 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 just more vicious than anything. She is demonstrating a lot of intelligence in how to isolate people from each other, to get over the humps of of light and shit like that. And well, that's where she lives. I think that's what she's used to. And I, I think it's it's sad in a way that the the writers think that we will, by and large, the full audience will assume that as well. Mm-hmm. That she isn't that this is all new to her this isn't all fucking new to her this Mm -hmm. is her existence since birth it seems Mm -hmm. so she definitely knows how to traverse the light i do like the little bits that um of desperation maneuvers that brett puts himself in once he loses his flashlight then he shines his phone and and that seems to work until you know diana smashes his fucking phone and then he's trying to just run out of the fucking house because you know rebecca and martin are screaming at him and get the fuck out of the house and he runs under this little underpass and she fucking just like like does like this fucking like comes out of the side and fucking does this spin move to like totally knock him off his feet in like one death move she like fucking badass doing it then lifts this fucking guy up into the air and then at this point you're just like He's done. He's done. I thought she was gonna like break him over her knee, hit her knee or something That's like what that, I thought too. or or something. I was like, this entity is picking up a dude, 175, 180 pounds over her head, 
Yeah. So not only is she fast, she's intelligent. She's got claws that can shred you. She also has superhuman strength. Yeah. Because like lifting a grown man over your head like that is really hard. And right now you're stuck in the dark with this girl. Yeah. Poor Brett. (laughs) Pretty much convinced he's done. And then he pulls out his fucking car keys and turns on the front headlights of his car and instantly drops to safety and I was like, oh, man, that was a really slick move. I really liked that it scene. It was a very slick move. And it was all set up very good because he was running out of the house through the carport. That's where the shadow was. He was parked just outside of it. So it all made perfect sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I did enjoy that. And, of course, he hops in the car, starts up the car, and they're in the basement going, like, is he leaving? Yeah, he heroically oh runs like a chicken. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but I had faith in him because even though I wasn't very into his character just because the way he was clunkily written and the way that they try and force this like ill-fitting relationship between him and Rebecca together and some of the lines he has about her motivations is just the he's just not written well and I felt so bad for him because he was acting it all very well Mm -hmm. uh he wasn't just there for a paycheck and he wasn't just a stunt dick by any means at all Mm -hmm. he did a good job so I had faith that he'd return I really did Mm -hmm. but it was a nice feeling for me to think haha you mean fucked Bye, Brett. Yeah, you survived, and now you're getting the fuck away from these crazy bitches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and maybe it would be like in the entity where, you know, the, the man characters are like, I'm going to protect you through thick and thin and yada, yada, yada. And then when the chips are down, he's like, bye. Yeah, I can't handle this shit. Yeah, so maybe maybe after all this thing, I was like, I can be there with you and I can handle your your quote-unquote crazy mother and the fact that you have a younger brother that really needs you right now and uh, his biological father has died and you're going through all this crazy transition. I can be there for you. Just let me be part of your life and I can handle it. And then he's like... Aah. Yeah, because <laughs> Diana pulled some super fucking high-flying wrestling moves on him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now we're basically stuck. Uh, Rebecca and Martin are stuck in the basement. One of the lines that I really dug from martin when the character was kind of passive it was like passable kid character i was like this is fun i guess but one of the things that i really liked was when they realized that they can't get out of the basement and there's no windows down there um they try to find more light and and so what they end up doing is they start using the um iron stove in the in the basement heater i guess yeah it's like an old boiler the furnace Furnace, like freddy krueger furnace it's freddy krueger yeah it really is the freddy krueger furnace and they're just like burning papers and stuff. And he basically says that, you know, how are we going to get out of here? We're locked in here. There's no windows. So basically that line meaning even in daybreak, it's going to be pitch black down here. And and then there's a long pause and he's like, I'm not much help to you. And I was like, I like that line a lot because A, it takes a lot of maturity for a kid to realize like I can't. I can't. I'm a little boy. Yeah. I I don't know how to help you. I'm a borderline bird in here, and I'm all out of ideas because all I know is flashlights. Yeah. That's all yeah. I know. Yeah. And and she's like, no, no, no. I'm I'm formulating a plan. Don't you worry. I, I was... really like that. This isn't where we went to cardboard swords either, because cardboard swords kill all the creatures, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't cardboard swords, and I'm really glad mm-hmm. that I didn't go to cardboard swords. As much as I like the. Uh, Maker montage of kids suiting up, uh, <laughs> tin foil armor. And yeah, I, I do. I do. Pot kind of on his head. It. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because this is where you know, pot on his head. That's exactly what I'm envisioning. But I'm so glad it didn't go there because then I would have had a 
a painful eye roll. Mm-hmm. I probably would have eye rolled my way right out the window. <laughs> like, Couple out there. seriously. Um, but they do have, and this is where these sort of things that are usually just fucking kryptonite to me mm-hmm. actually work. Diana is terrorizing them in the basement. Mm-hmm. Brett has gone. Mm-hmm. They are running out of lights. The crank flashlight starts failing. Mm-hmm. They don't know what to do. She's cooking a plan, yeah, but I mean, mm-hmm. their goose is going to be cooked before she can actually plate it. And not only that, but we've left out this thing that even when all of this shit was going down, um, uh, uh, Sophie springs into action and tries to challenge Diana and say, I told you not to hurt my kids. Everything was fine until... You, you, unless you hurt my kids, and then she tries to take medication to do that, like and a handful. Like, and, and I've been saying kill the mom for the last twenty minutes of this film at this yeah, point, because I'm like, that's yeah. the only way I and, think. And the mother is trying to say that you is like she's like, don't you threaten me? It's like there's no me, there's no you, and so the mother seems to have a deep understanding of this connection that she has with Diana. Uh, at least in this incarnation and when she tries to take a mouthful of these fucking pills diana ain't having that fucking pitches her ass across the room and she, yeah knocks the pills out of her hand yeah. and yeah she knocks her head on the dresser yeah and she's knocked, knocked out knocked out so what we have here now is martin in the basement going through old halloween uh stuff and i was like "Ooh, what's in the halloween box like anything could be in there but i, I definitely said okay so there's something in this box that's going to be somehow very useful let's what is it and it's a black light very interesting yeah and it's, it's kind of cute when a kid digs up something that isn't is kind of foreign to them mm-hmm. and definitely even to rebecca is uh, something of days gone by mm-hmm. where she used to have black light posters i guess yeah very 80s thing yeah or something for halloween like ooh, let's put black lights. or if you have a black light poster that you normally have and need a black light to display it you mm-hmm. know but it seemed that she had none of those things, and this was in a box of her old Halloween stuff, which was probably just her old bedroom accoutrement. Yeah, yeah. yeah considering yeah. the Slayer fan that she is. Yeah. So yeah. she had this black light, and she starts looking around for this black light, or looking around with this black light, which immediately I'm like, I don't know if this is going to work against yeah. her. It's not full spectrum, and I'm thinking like that's what killed her, quote unquote. So that seems to be what her weakness is, and a black light isn't going to cut it, but maybe it would be like her kryptonite. And maybe this is exactly what they need to kill her. Like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. So I like not knowing. I really like not knowing. Mm-hmm. What what happens now is a sequence, a basement sequence, which is, I'm going to say this whole sequence is my second favorite moment in the film. And we haven't gotten to my absolute favorite moment in the film. But our my second favorite moment in the film is this whole black light sequence. I like a lot of the black white light sequence, but it does have something in it that I just quiver. I just shudder. And it's one of those moments where I'm like, oh yeah, I'm watching one of these plain ass blockbuster theater horror James Wan Blumhouse type fucking things. <laughs> yeah. Well, rain it in for one second. <sighs> trying. The the lighting effects it just looked really cool yeah. and so when we get down into this basement that seems to go on forever and she's going down this corridor, the black light illuminates. Well, we see a handprint first, first and foremost, uh, an old residue of something. And as we travel down this darkened corridor in the basement, the, the words light up on the light that are illuminated by the black light. Were these written by Diana? Yes. yes. Right. And, we do know this because 
not only do we get to read these glimpses of, of the letters, and it would have been fine to leave it ambiguous as to, like, there's a lot of writing on the walls and obviously done by a crazy person, and there's one of two of them in the house. Mm. Mom and Diana are both knuck and fats, so either one of them could have written this. Or it could be, because it's not visible, what would it be written in? Could have been left completely ambiguous. But the things that are written is... Um, being stuck in a basement in the dark. It's just like the hospital. Mm-hmm. Okay, that could have been written by either of them, but more likely Diana. Things like, they're going to take Sophie away from me again. Mm-hmm. Very much something Diana would write. And there are some glimpses of things that she doesn't read out loud for us <laughs> that I don't know if I'm the only person that can read watching this, but I'm, I could be because I did see things like all I ever wanted was a friend So it is some really touching stuff that's written on the wall. And it's just, it's nice, though, that Rebecca reads it out loud for us. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Is that the thing that makes you cringe? Oh, yeah. Every time somebody sees a letter and it says, like, Dr. Octavius, and they have to, Dr. Octavius. Oh, that's me. (laughs) You know? Oh, my God. It makes me want to just turn it off. Every time when somebody reads out loud something that we can clearly read. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. It shows a lack of faith in people that they won't read things, but um I but then we get to the the sequence that I really like, all little fucked up mannequins that all have their faces all fucked up and melted and they all have like like disco morlock paint on their faces and shit so you can kind of like see a bit of like an illumination and then the camera pans to a head that like it's clearly Diana and sure enough it is and we are it's confirmed not only does the light not dispel Diana at all we can see her yeah and the black light it's so wonderful and i like that they don't use this as a jump scare because there is even what i would consider a jump scare only because i jumped and was scared in the short film mm-hmm. when we first see any sort of body of Diana not the second instance that the last instance in the short that we get to see Diana but um, when it's realized that it's actually a human female form, we get some naked butt in the short. Just spoiler. <laughs> part. But I did jump just because it's that stark, bright point on the screen done in the smash cut. That's um, not treated like that. There's not a huge orchestral boom and it's not necessarily a smash cut. It's a quick cut. But we do get a full frontal visage of what Diana looks like. Mm-hmm. And it's haggy. Oh, man, she ain't doing too hot. Oh, she is a hag. She is basically a hag. Yeah. Absolutely. Another interesting thing happens. Almost in a in a way, in a Freddy Krueger-like way, where you hold on to him into the dream world and try to pull something out. It's that in the black light, she doesn't dispel. And when you shine the lights, a, a flashlight on her, for example... It burns her as opposed to making her just vanish. So, for what, how, it seems to be the combination of the black light that doesn't allow Diana to dispel and keeping the actual light on her. Yeah. So they can actually hurt her in this environment. But that doesn't stop Diana from being able to fucking hurt them, too. No, exactly. Because she's manifesting it now in pain and angry. And she could actually be even more dangerous. You'd have to, like, really come at her with some 2000 watt lights i guess mm-hmm. and as um martin and rebecca pull themselves away from diana and bring themselves down to back to the furnace um oh man like they hear 
thumping around upstairs, which again indicates to you how it's it's hard. It almost seems as though this thing is in two places at once. Yeah. But I just let you know, it's like this thing can clearly move through shadows. Like it can just move in and around anywhere it needs to be. There is no door that can hold it, no window. It just can just go wherever. And we see that it fucking like through the pipes drops something down into the furnace and just expunges the flame entirely. Which I thought was hilarious. And I was like, yes, Diana, this is another example of it being a very high functioning creature. And it is you know, might have been left in a basement until she was 13 and then killed in a psychiatric institution not long after. But being around people all of her life as a spirit or entity or whatever the fuck she is, then she's learned a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's crafty. And she knows this house inside and out. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. Scary. Very scary. And... In this moment, when they're basically all out of ideas, they both just simultaneously scream for their mother. Which I thought was hilarious. And I wouldn't have even really thought about it as deeply. It seems so organic and natural because their mom is just who's who else is in the house with them, right? Mm -hmm. And they're under siege and she must be too or she's helping it and directing it. And it's hard to tell, but they need help. They are all out of ideas and they're rapidly running out of light and they yell for their mother. And Wes says, yeah... Basically, it goes down to the fact that it's like the last, the last bastion of hope for any children. Just mom. Yeah. <laughs> it's it, it's childlike. It and, and um, but so much of this has childlike elements to it, right? You have people hiding under blankets. You have people um like childlike drawings. Both Diana seems to be high functioning, have the intelligence an instinct of an adult, but also have a lot of childlike uh, artistic abilities and, and childlike posture and, and possession uh, complexes and shit like that. Yeah. Very immature and young tantrums and the, just the general play of light and dark, which mm-hmm. is such a, like an old, old fear that people have far more pronounced as children. And it's, and just having that sort of primordial fear of the dark that we'll all always have but how it could have been made worse with stories of boogeyman, <laughs> things like that, or noises in the dark that the adults all tended to that we had no power over and were useless, like Martin admits that he's useless in the basement. Uh, yeah, so it does tap into a lot of those things really, really well. So when they yell for their mom, aside from it just being a natural thing in the script to me, uh, it does seem like a very natural thing as well, given the psychological foundation of this film absolutely but don't you worry they don't need mom because there's something else in this life that can help you in the adult life that can help you the fuzz popo just call them police officers the police officers the the fuzz and the popo yeah what what, what are you you know flatfoots flatfoots yeah i can't tell if they're from the 50s or the 80s or inner city or (laughs) or what I'm coming at you. I'm throwing a lot of spaghetti at the wall. Boston or Detroit? I mean, I don't know. But I can tell you, it's like, Brad got police officers. Like a rational adult. Yeah. And I applaud him for that. I know the police go into this as if they're going to be like fucking cops, bad boys. What you going to do? It's a domestic disturbance. Oh, fuck. I know. And it's so annoying because he's like, you got to have your flashlights. And a part of me is saying, like, 
they're cops. They have flashlights. Don't yeah. you worry. You know, <laughs> don't mm-hmm. patronize us. But um, they're not listening to him. And even oh. when Rebecca starts telling them, you know, where this being is and what's sort of going on and that their mother's upstairs, they're just not listening. And they're like, okay, we'll take it from here. It's like, you don't know what you're fucking dealing with, though. Yeah. And they certainly don't because as as uh, one of the police officers is trying to break open the basement door and does successfully get the door open, uh, one of the other officers sees out of the corner of her eye the this entity and uh, one of the cops, he comes in doing that cool gun flashlight stance that cops have in movies and shit. I don't know if they do it in real life, but yeah, I don't. Well, how would you wield a gun and a flashlight best? I would have the flashlight in my mouth. No. And then I'd be dual wielding The minute you gold trip pistols. over something, because you don't know where you are, you don't know to lay a land or someone could trip you, let alone something in their house, that flashlight's going out the back of your skull. And then you're useless. I don't have much of a gag reflex. No, I mean, it will kill you. Oh. I'll take my chances. Now. You're a shitty cop, Wes. Well, I mean, you know what? Who else is a shitty cop? This guy. Yeah, totally. Because he's not really a shitty cop, but I mean, how could you know? Once this thing fucking. If he'd have listened. Yeah, if he had listened, true. But once this thing gets the drop on him, Diana fucking de-flashlights him. And then this is my absolute favorite sequence in this movie. I fucking love this fucking shot of him aiming his weapon and then trying to unload a couple of shots of his gun at Diana. Mm-hmm. Because guess what a fucking gun emits when you fire it in the dark? A little bit of muzzle flash. <laughs> just enough light to dissipate her. Just a tiny little ripple. And it's so effective because it proves that they've thought through her strengths and weaknesses so very, very well. And mm-hmm. I like this. It's minutia, yes. Yeah. But that she just barely ripples. But it's much better than having this you know, bulletproof, very literally bulletproof entity coming at you and not even reacting. I would have, I would have, I never would have thought of the muzzle flash. When I was looking at it, I was like, okay, well, he's probably going to shoot her and it's either going to thunk into her like she's Jason Voorhees or it's just going to hit nothing. Like it's going to... Check the crow, just keep walking at you. Yeah, just keep walking at you. But I was like, oh, and it looked so good. She was like... Like, you know, you guys can't, I'm doing the actions, guys. But, like, she's, like, just, like, so fucking badass and smooth as silk. And, it, like, and we don't know. Maybe the bullets would fucking kill her. I don't know. She, she seems to be able to manipulate things. And, therefore, if you can interact with things, that means things can interact with you. So, I would assume that a bullet would do something to her. And then I want, like... Um, lights out to the heretic where we can strap her down and, t- and test her, you know, and put some UV light on her and then shoot her and, mm-hmm. like and see what happens. Like, I don't know if it would kill her, but I'm, I'm thinking that we'll, it'll be more of a Jason Voorhees like scenario where it slows her down and fucks up her body, but it won't kill her. Yeah. Maybe because I mean, if we're dealing with somebody that is truly already dead, which we are now, <laughs> anyways, this guy gets fucking smoked. I don't know what happens to him, but basically this guy, I'm assuming, uh, like, if this was an R-rated movie, I bet you he got, would have been ripped in half or something well, like yeah, that. Yeah, no, but it's not. So we see him one minute, and he's uh, dealing with that, and then we see him another minute, and he has no eyes. Yeah, he's he's gone. And then when his partner goes up to, to give him a hand, really goes for the eyes. Yeah. Really goes for the eyes. She fucking dies too. But now Rebecca's out of the fucking house or out of the basement and as as well as Martin. And they have a little bit of an argument because um, Rebecca just wants to go. Martin wants to save mom. 
Yeah. Period. That's all he cares about. Mm -hmm. And even then, we were both sort of like, he's a kid. Grab him and run out of the house. Yeah, grab him and run him out of the house because that's what she wants Brett to do. Yeah. And beforehand, there was a real, there was a real change of, of tone. And I think after the dinner sequence where the mother and Rebecca fought in front of Martin and Brett about what she was dealing with, Martin really, throughout the beginning of the film, really just wanted to leave the entire time. The arc that this little boy goes through is the fact that he wants to leave, much in the same way Rebecca wanted to when they were kids. But for some reason, after that dinner sequence, his tune completely changes. Yeah, he has some clunky dialogue, because it's, that's all they not, seem to give this kid when he's actually interacting with people. It's, it's not great, but the message is clear that... She's our mother. She's our mother. He wants to stay, and, and he's like, I don't want to leave like you did yeah right he's like we have to stay we have to help her and it is a it is a big change from his attitude beforehand but i think he was really starting to get it that we're all trying to leave because we feel unsafe but mom is not safe in this house with this thing she's imprisoned by it Mm -hmm. and even if she can't see that she is so there's this sense about like he really doesn't want to leave the mother and at this point Rebecca does promise that she's going to go and get her. And still gets Brett to just carry him out of the house, which is hilarious. Yeah. I think it's hilarious. I expected him to pull, like, slippery kid. Yeah, like, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, the like, boneless move. The boneless move, yeah. Um, and it's pretty great because what ends up happening is we have a bit of a standoff as Rebecca really doesn't have a lot of tools or disposal. The black light's helpful. But but only so you can see where she is. Yeah, how helpful is that to see your death coming at you? Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ! And who wants to see that? She's haggy. But you need a particular light to combine with that to hurt her. And yeah, what are you gonna do? Make her angrier? The cops are both dead, useless. Bullets don't make any difference. Like you know, all of these things. All she can try and do is maybe quickly get her mom out of the house. Mm-hmm. I think that's the plan. Mm-hmm. It is true, but. When this when the the standoff is happening, like fucking swooping in, it's mm-hmm. Sophie. So she's back. Yeah, she's got a gun. She got peace, which is yeah. <laughs> popo and peace. Yeah, with with a gun, but like we've already established that bullets don't make a difference, and we get to hear. And this uh, we haven't mentioned. Uh, Diana talks. She does talk. Yeah, we haven't. I don't know why we haven't mentioned this. Not that she has like kick-ass lines by any means, but we don't want her to have kick-ass lines really in a way, because then mm-hmm. she would just be a fucking caricature. But she reminds Sophie that that won't work against her. Yeah, her voice is really cool. It's uh, also she's fucking speaking in parcel tongue. She's yeah. all hissy and hissy fu- and gravelly. Yeah, yeah, it's really really cool. That won't work on me. The double cool thing is that that's her same voice on the cassette tape as she had when she was a child. Yeah, yeah. So it's not like her weird demonic entity voice. She that's just how she's she talked, right? So. And, yeah, she reminds her it won't work on her. Yeah, and she pops off a couple of shots just to be sure and sure if it doesn't. And then the mother's immediate reaction is puts that gun to her temple and says, a repeats a line, no me, no you. And as uh, a, in a kind of a, and, and even though um, it is this moment where I thought I was like, you're going to hate this because like, as it's happening, I was like, oh, Lydia's stewing in her seat right now. I can tell it. because no, it's even like... when she said, you know, and she reminds the audience and everyone around her in case they've forgotten, and especially Diana, that I told you not to hurt my kids. Mm-hmm. It's fucking warranted mm-hmm. because she's been spending all of this time 
at night talking with Diana, not playing fucking patty cake. Mm -hmm. And it's not just to, you know, placate this being. I think she's been talking to this girl all of her life at night and most nights of her life in the dark, which isn't exactly where everyone always wants to be. I don't mind being in the dark, but like spending time with Diana, I don't think I'd appreciate that too much. I think she's wanted to help her all this time. She's put up with all of this and abuse because she gets physically abused by Diana as well. Mm -hmm. She's only putting up with this so that she can figure out how to help her or free her. She's doing the best that she can. But the whole deal was I will I will stay with you. I will let you be in this world and in my world and probably just continuously fighting to figure out how to help her and free this little girl, really, as long as she never hurt her kids. That was their fucking deal. Mm hmm. And Diana had really, really, really fucked that up. Mm -hmm. So I do. It's not just all of a sudden mama bear yeah. bullshit that I, I do hate because it is such a cheap fucking way to get at people on an emotional level. This actually accomplishes what fuck every fucking shit ass B grade piece of shit mom daughter fucking horror movie attempts and fails at. Sophie blows her, blows her fucking brains out. And as she does, Diana, like, burns away, basically. Yeah, vaporizes much like she probably did in that chair in the psychiatric ward years ago. Mm -hmm. This thing that Diana is seems to be some kind of pure representation of what Diana probably was. Whether she was housed in a more human-looking young woman when she was alive... Whatever she is now, whatever she was now, is demonic, purely evil, the, uh, vicious, like fucks with you, like malicious for no reason. And all she seems to really want to do is perpetuate her own existence. Because the only time we ever see Diana panicked is the idea of her, of Sophie killing herself. Because then she, I don't think, like, no, Sophie, my friend, it's not that. No, not at all. And there's even lines in there where it's like, Diana's not her friend. I think Diana's only convinced her mm -hmm. that they're friends for her own fucking reasons. Mm -hmm. Which, yeah, seems to be very, very true. And then, but as as we're, as the film is closing up, we're getting out of here. And, and everyone's like, we're safe now, from now and forever. You've said, rightfully so, that you don't know that. No. It's like, you don't know anything about this entity. You don't know what it is. And maybe she was just panicked that Sophie was going to kill herself because they were friends. And she's a free agent, much like she was in the short film. She can be anywhere with anyone. She's not necessarily tied to these things. Mm -hmm. Maybe it'll take her some time to regenerate. Maybe her corpse is somewhere. Maybe there's something else that she's tied to. Yeah. Maybe she was invited even inadvertently by the very young sophie and tied to her in a demonic bond mm -hmm. sort of way who knows yeah. we don't know anything about this creature which i love because we just spent all this time with it getting to know her and get to know her very early on in the film and learn what we feel like is a lot about her but at the end of it we don't know we certainly don't know the parameters of this manifestation whatsoever no. and also the fact that we know that there's a sequel coming we know that I agree with you in in the sense that she was probably more panicked at Sophie's death from the standpoint of all the time and energy that it went into breaking down Sophie's psyche. That she, I, I was like, I guarantee you that if she is 
able to attach herself to other people, which she definitely can, it will take maybe years for her to be able to manifest herself at the current strength that she was at in this film. Yeah. Yeah. We don't know how long that would take. Or to have a house to live in. Maybe it, that's part of it. Because that's, that basement sequence indicates to me that for a long time, Diana was regulated to a place with no windows that had no light in it whatsoever. So she had to stay in that basement. And it took time and strength and energy for her to get that powerful again because her mother had like ebbs and flows in her psyche where she was bad and then she got good for a little while and then it was sort of slipping into that so so again it really seems that diana's not only existence but her level of power is completely dependent on whomever she's attacked to mentally Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. if she even needs to be attached mentally to someone at all it's a really fascinating creature and it is really refreshing and i totally share this sentiment with you that it's wonderful and exciting and refreshing to have a new monster because mm-hmm. it basically is. That's basically what Diana is. Even though she has so many earmarks of so many other creatures that we can identify. And she does have like quantifiable illnesses and um, very human reasons for her psychological stance as a human child when she was a human child. If she ever was human. That's the thing. Like yeah. I'm I'm not entirely convinced. Mm-hmm, me neither. That she was ever a human. But... So it could have been an imp that just manifested in that house. Yeah. Could have been the anything. Dad. Yeah. Who knows? Crazy. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you again for this recommendation, Jonathan. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. It was really, really refreshing. And I'm going to get to experience this all over again next week when we do Conjuring 2. That's right. We're, we're It's another fan request that we got coming up to. And another 2016 horror film that everyone was talking about. I've not seen it. I haven't either. And I read, haven't read a thing. Yeah, I know a little more about the Conjuring universe, as it were, than yeah, I the, the, had any the, idea of Lights Out. But yeah, the Warren family, obviously very famous. And I have a feeling that this was uh, the more enjoyable of the two, so we'll, we'll I'm see. really happy we got to watch this one first. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm really, really happy. If you guys ever have any requests that you would like to do for the show, uh, or you would like us to do for the show, rather, uh, you can tweet us at, at Wes Dead Air Nipe or at Typical Lydia. You can also find us on spotterpictures.net where you can make, leave a comment under any entry that you see or in the About Us section to let us know. You can check us out on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, find us on Instagram, probably Tumblr. I don't know. Everywhere that you would yep. ever want to there, be online. Definitely definitely at uh, Tumblr under my name that I wish I never like picked, but I did. It's uh, The Abominable Dead Air is... <laughs> Okay. I yeah. thought it was going to be like Dungeon Master Wes or something. No, it's the, it's the Abominable. It's like based off the Abominable Dr. Fives, but it's like the Abominable Dead Air. Mm-hmm. Um, I never thought that it would ever be linked to a podcast that I had. So like I never really thought about it. You probably uh, change that. It probably can, but I mean, I'm also lazy. Um, and also on our Facebook page at Splatter Pictures slash Dead Air Podcast. Yep. If you're interested in purchasing any of my books that I've been shilling nonstop, mm-hmm. You can check out Amazon.com slash author slash Lydia. And just finding me anywhere else online, you'll probably run across some sort of information like that. Yeah, I got my hard copy of Pray Light Eve 2 in the mail the other day, and I fucking just got rock hard with that hard copy. Isn't it nice? I know I've received mine as well, and that's very... (sighs) I love the layout. Like, Of course, that's like just me masturbating 
because I did it. But I mean, to be able to hold it in your hand is something different. Oh, let me tell you, gang, it's got this velvety cover that just feels so good. Like the first Pray Light Eve, slick. It's glossy, glossy. yeah. And uh, I honestly never did like the, the, the glossy, but I didn't want to do a second edition. But then the current edition, which is a second edition, uh, matches with the matte finish mm-hmm. Ooh, it feels good on the fingers it does fleshy mm-hmm. can make it like an asmr video just like run your fingers over like slowly with a microphone right next to it his eyes are glinting guys <laughs> i'm Les night and i'm typical lydia and you've been listening to dead air <laughs>